Well, maybe you turn to Matthew 27 if you've got a Bible handy. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, if you don't, I am going to read it anyway, or most of it, some of it. Um, we're really simply just going to read part of this chapter. I'll speak on it afterwards. You might like to listen to the song on the service page that you find, uh, all our service pages, you, you find by clicking the green button uh, on the front page of our website, the church website. Um, it takes you through to a little dedicated page for each of the services. There's a, there's a really good song um, to, to follow up on Matthew chapter 27. Um, as we open Matthew 27, um, uh, and we're going to read from verse 27. Uh, Jesus has already uh, that day been betrayed, arrested, subject to sham trials. Uh, the crowd has bayed for his blood, and he's been handed over by the governor, uh, Pontius Pilate, uh, to be killed. So let's read Matthew chapter 27 from verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. 
Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. We finish there with a note about uh, the women who watched all that would happen, who would see where Jesus would be buried and who knew exactly where to look for him uh, on Sunday morning, uh, but in vain. Uh, what on earth is good about Good Friday? Um, a, a lovely neighbor of ours uh, today said, uh, told me that uh, her, I think it was her sister, refers to it as Sad Friday, uh, w which is not far off the mark, is it? Sad Friday. Um, certainly a hard read, what we've, what we've just read in Matthew 27. That's not light reading, is it? I, I saw a little bit recently of, of an Easter film. Uh, the title, I think, is Risen. Um, now, normally, films about Jesus uh, irritate me in one of two directions. Either they have a big enough budget that they look great, but they feel like they, they ought to mess with the story, or they've got a really small budget, in which case they don't look great, even if they don't mess with the story. So I don't, I'm not generally a fan, but... Uh, but their coverage in, in Risen, the coverage of, of Good Friday, was compelling. On the one hand, I didn't want to look at it. And on the other hand, I couldn't look away. But whichever I did, I wouldn't describe it as good. Good was not the first, second, or third word that sprang to mind to describe what happened on that Friday. Let's, let's review what happened. Let, let's look at... Um, oh, I forgot, to, I forgot to turn us on a little bit. Anyway... Um, Let's review what happened in Matthew chapter 27 uh, on Good Friday. What is, what is good about Good Friday? Uh, we'll catch up with the slides, and here's the first uh, of three little short headings for tonight. Jesus was rejected by everyone. That's the first thing that I think we see in this passage. Jesus was rejected by everyone. I'm not going to go into the, the, the details, but crucifixion was the most horrific execution that the Romans employed. Uh, victims would uh, grow slowly more and more breathless because of their own weight pulling down on their chests um, the way they were strung up. They, they could take days to die, caught between the desperation for oxygen and the desperate pain required to push up to, to get it, pushing up enough to ease the strain across the chest. It was actually illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. So the Romans did it, but not to their own. Uh, one Roman statesman said it's a crime to put a Roman 
uh, a Roman citizen in chains. It, uh, it is an enormity to flog one, sheer murder to slay one. What then shall I say of crucifixion? And he says, it is impossible to find the word for such an abomination. Um, but did you notice that Matthew says almost nothing about Jesus' physical sufferings at all? He gives almost no details. In fact, uh, verse 35 just strikes you as a bit of a, a, bit of a fast forward. You know, one minute they're on their way up to the, the, the site of, of crucifixion, and they've got this guy roped in to carry the cross. Uh, and then all of a sudden, verse 35, when they had crucified him. I mean, there's quite a lot required to get from Jesus standing here to Jesus hanging there. And Matthew skips. Instead, Matthew's emphasis is on rejection and mockery. So at the start of the passage we read, it's the Roman soldiers in a completely unnecessary episode uh, mocking this pathetic, powerless, so-called king. Uh, mocking and, and beating. Verse 37, it's the crucifixion squad with their mocking sign. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Um, verse 39, the passers-by hurled insults and mocked Jesus for what he had said about destroying and rebuilding the temple in three days. But as John's gospel says, John chapter 2, um, that the temple that was to be destroyed and rebuilt in three days was Jesus' own body, the true meeting place of, of God and man. That's what Jesus was talking about. I'm not to give away any spoilers for Sunday, but this, the, the body that was destroyed on Friday would be rebuilt. Um, Anyway, uh, verse 41, the religious elite mocked him with some of the most bitter and petty uh, lines that they, they, they came out with. It's, it's really beneath them and their education and their standing. Some savior who can't save himself is their, their gist. And, and verse 44, the robbers beside Jesus insulted him as well, uh, at least to begin with. We know that, that one changed his mind. Now, we love a little bit of banter. We love to poke fun. Um, you know, if you live in Ireland and no one is poking fun at you, does anyone really love you? Uh, that's a little harsh, but maybe not too far off. We, we love to poke fun at each other's sports teams. We poke fun at, at each other's, you know, shirts. Or, or, well, in my family, we poke fun with just a very long-lasting jokes about answers that have been given in, in trivia questions and games. Um, and if it's not too much of a stereotype, one thing that struck me when we moved back from England to Northern Ireland a few, few years back, um, I, heard, I used to hear the ladies in church poke fun at one another's cooking or baking. So picture the scene, the, the church kitchen is, a, is sort of a buzzing as different women and some men uh, would bring in cakes and whatnot that they've produced for some event that's happening, okay? And, and, and the, the, you know, the eyes will, will go up on, someone comes in, the eyes will go up, oh, that's, that's a lovely cake, Mary. You must tell us where you bought it. Um, the implication being, it's lovely, therefore you didn't bake it. Uh, well, look, it's a sign of love, isn't it? If someone's poking fun, it's because they love you. That's the Irish way and Northern Irish perhaps more than anyone. Uh, we also like to mock our leaders and our governments with, with comedy shows and 
sketches and puppets and, and whatever else. And that's a little bit more pointed because we don't have the same love for them that we have for, uh, for family and friends. Sometimes we disagree with them, we disrespect them, and sometimes that banter is, is really just um, a bit spiteful. But what Matthew saw on Good Friday was the ultimate rejection, the ultimate mockery, full to the brim of venom and hatred. Um, Here was the only Son of God, God from God, light from light, come into the world, suffering the most gruesome death at the hands of his own creatures, at the hands of, of human beings made to bear his image, at the hands of Israelites chosen to represent God to the nations, and at the hands of Romans given authority from God, even if they didn't know it, um, to, to do good and to, to keep order, but they're more concerned by the potential for civil unrest than by a gross miscarriage of justice. Jesus was rejected by everyone. And, and this rejection of Jesus is a dark and ugly mirror in which we see ourselves. We do see ourselves somewhere in Matthew chapter 27. Um, certainly, it would, it would never occur uh, to, to people today, to um, you know, people who mock Jesus, it would never occur to them to think of, of him as uh, perhaps being the king that he, he claimed to be. You know, mocking Jesus is so easy. <laughs> it, it really kind of, it, dis, it, it doesn't just sort of turn me off comedy shows when they start mocking Jesus, it just kind of disappoints me as well because it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's like, why are you even, why are you even bothering with that? Surely we can be a bit more creative. Um, but people today, from, from the ordinary uh, right up to the elite, will, will mock Jesus. Maybe you can remember a time when you too openly mocked and rejected Jesus. Maybe even as Christians, we feel a certain sense of embarrassment about belonging to him, uh, an embarrassment about associating with him, a reluctance to obey him, um, and a difficulty with some of the harder things that he says. People stood here crucifying Jesus, mocking a dying man, um, some of them grinning at all the injustice and the cruelty of it. They're really enjoying themselves. And these people are us. Maybe, maybe we're not the, the religious elite full of venom and spite, but maybe we're some of the others. We're the passers-by, or, or we're the robbers. We, we've got some scoff, some mock, some rebellion in us, some rejection. We don't sing much these days in church, but uh, uh, we used to sing the line, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. A bit of self-reflection, I think, will, will show us this rejection of Jesus. It's a, it's a picture. The rejection here is a picture of the universal human uh, rejection of, of a good and loving and pure and generous and beautiful God. It's a picture of, of our rejection of him. Jesus was rejected by everyone, but there's a little more than that going on here because, of course, Jesus was forsaken by God. Jesus was forsaken by God. Let me read a, a few verses. 
Uh, I always feel self-conscious about reading verse 46, but let's read from verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Matthew tells us, verse 45 there, that at midday, there was darkness over the whole land, lasting until 3 p.m. when Jesus died. Uh, now, this was the time of the Passover, and Passover comes during a full moon. Uh, and if you think about that, if you draw that out, <laughs> and, and where the sun and the earth and the moon have to be to give you a full moon, uh, you'll see that it's the opposite of, of the conditions for a solar eclipse. So it wasn't dark because of an eclipse. Not that a solar eclipse brings total darkness for three hours. So what's going on? Well, writing about, about the final day of judgment, the Old Testament prophet Amos says, will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. See, darkness in the Bible is all about God's judgment. Someone's being judged here. But who's being judged on Good Friday? Is it the, the passers-by? Is it the religious elite? We'll look at verse 46. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Jesus being judged. Je Jesus is quoting, actually, from Psalm 22 here, a piece of literature, even at that stage, which was a thousand years old already. Uh, Psalm 22, all about the Son of God who's rejected by the people, it's got lots of parallels to the crucifixion story, even in uh, little details that were not, humanly speaking, in Jesus' control, like uh, the soldiers uh, casting lots to divide up his clothes. Um, and this is a line from that psalm. It's Jesus who is suffering God's judgment. This is the only time in the Gospels when Jesus calls God, God. All the rest of the time, he uses Father. But here, not Father, God. God the Father is at this moment somehow distant and removed from God the Son in a way that's never happened before or since. The, the perfect, mysterious relationship of the Trinity is, is interrupted here in some way. Jesus is forsaken. He's abandoned. He's cut off. He's experiencing the, the withdrawal of God's loving presence and the pouring out of God's wrath, the, the laser focus of God's right anger against that human rejection and rebellion and depravity. Um, now, by the way, Jesus is, is not looking for an answer with this question, uh, like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. What, what's going on here? I don't understand. He's not saying that. The Bible's very clear, and Jesus is very clear that he knew exactly what his mission was and exactly what it would entail. This is the moment that he anticipated uh, the night before in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying um, and with, with sweat just dripping off him um, and praying, telling his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he prays, Abba, Father, if there's any way to take the suffering away, if there's any way to, to do this, to save them, that doesn't involve that. And yet, 
not my will, but yours be done. And yet, even in, in, even in Psalm 22, the second half of that psalm talks about God honoring and vindicating and glorifying the one who suffers. Jesus knows that's coming as well, and he's talked about it. Jesus cries out, not because he's confused, but because it hurts. He's experiencing God's abandonment or God's, God's presence with him only in wrath. Jesus was rejected by everyone and forsaken by God. But, but uh, even in this literally dark moment, uh, there is light and life and hope. There is something good about Good Friday. Uh, but because lastly, uh, Jesus died to deal with sin and death, to overcome them, to overcome sin and death. Verse 50 when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Well, there it is, verse 50. We've, we've got the key moment, Jesus' death. And then suddenly, right at this most important part of the story, right at the moment that all 26 and a half chapters of Matthew's gospel have been leading to, never mind the Old Testament, right at the key moment, Matthew takes us somewhere else. He just takes his readers away from the scene. Cut scene, takes us somewhere else. What's happening nearby? Now, our Bibles, uh, particularly the NIV, they tidy up the next few sentences to make them a little more readable, but it's really a list. Uh, and it's bullet pointed uh, in the original with, with ands, and, and, and. So it goes like this. I'm not sure this is the same. Uh, I'm not sure this is the NIV, but let me give you the ands anyway. You'll get the idea. Um, so just after verse 50, Jesus gave up his spirit and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and having come out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. Bang, 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 bang. Um, Jesus, um, Jesus' death has caused this earthquake, literal and, and metaphorical earthquake, that's sending out these ripples and aftershocks. Bang, 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 bang. What does it all mean? Well, the curtain, the curtain in the temple that, that separated the most holy part of the temple from the people, that kept people away from God, a, a safety barrier, if you like, was torn open, ripped open from God's end to our end, top to bottom, to show that as Jesus died in that moment, our sin is dealt with, it's paid for, it's punished in Him, and suddenly the way is open to come to God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. Well, let, let, then let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's a curtain. The curtain is, is opened. It's an open way to God. Um, next, the earth shook and the rocks split, maybe to show that what Jesus did wasn't just spiritual. Um, you know, we say that something is as old as the hills or it's rock solid. Well, here the hills shake and the rocks crack. 
God was doing something here that affects all of creation, the whole physical world. When things shake and split, we'd say they're collapsing. Um, Well, even rock-solid, age-old stones and earth, they're not final. They're fragile. This world is coming to an end and will be remade and renewed because of what happened at the cross. Hebrews, again, talks about, uh, quote, the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. And the writer of, of the book says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The, the earth shakes and the rocks split to show that Jesus has achieved something that affects the whole world and that outlasts the world. He establishes that kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the curtain, the earth, the rocks, and then the tombs crack open and bodies of, of these holy people who had died were raised. So again, Jesus' death is more than just spiritual. Physical bodies will rise from the dead. It's like this aftershock, this echo of what Jesus has done. They can't help but come out of the grave to enjoy what Jesus has has just achieved. Physical bodies will rise from the dead. We, says the Bible, we will have new physical, real, living, eternal bodies when Jesus raises his people on the last day. Uh, The the split curtain spoke about the spiritual realm of sin and and alienation and and reconciliation, but the shaking earth and the splitting rocks and the opening tombs and the rising uh, bodies, that's all the material stuff of creation. And and they appeared in public, these people. Uh, They were seen in the city, just as the final raising of Jesus' people at his church on the very last day will be for all to see. This, this all-transforming, all-affecting, all-consuming power of Jesus' death smashed the grip of sin and death on our lives and on this world. And so, look, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if you, like everyone in this passage, are still rejecting him, um, whether that's, you know, vehemently with shaking fist or just indifferently with shrugged shoulders (laughs) if you're somewhere on that spectrum please change your mind about Jesus please see the the ripples and after effects and aftershocks of his death that show that we can be reunited to God and raised to live with him spiritual and physical, everything changes in this moment. Maybe that's something you need to to look into more. Maybe you need to read around Matthew 27, figure out what's happening. But there's nothing like this in all of history, nothing like this moment. God longs for you to turn to him through Jesus. There was no other way. Jesus prayed for it in the garden. If there's any other way to save them, then let's do that. And yet, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Let's, let's do this. 
Let's save them. Won't you, won't, you, won't you turn and trust in him as he holds out his hand to you? Won't you take it? And look, if you are a follower of Jesus, will you remember? Will you remember that once you rejected him as well, maybe this is a precious day for you, Good Friday, and, and, and it's difficult, but you so love it. It's, it's sad. It is sad Friday, but you, it is so good and you so love it. Do remember, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Remember this Good Friday, the length that Jesus went to in order to, to bring you to God. He, he, he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried that so that we wouldn't cry it. God does not forsake us because he's already taken our sin and dealt with it, taken it away, forsaken Christ instead of us. Will we remember that on this good Friday? And look, will we take that great news to those who are still rejecting Jesus? We know so many. We pray that God will have mercy on them through Jesus. We're going to think about that a little more on Sunday, about taking that news, not to, not to give things away, not to give you the spoiler for what happens on Sunday, uh, but there is good news to take to the world. And we'll see that in Matthew chapter 28. Let's pray, uh, and then I'll, I'll remind you about that song. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your immeasurable goodness to us. We thank you that we can approach you as sons and daughters because his death opened the way for us. We thank you that we can look forward to real, physical, eternal life in a kingdom that cannot be shaken because his death was not just a spiritual event but an earth-shattering, history-turning, eternity-defining moment. Father, help us on, on these Good Fridays uh, not to be cool or distant or apathetic about details that we've probably heard before. Help us to be filled with wonder again uh, at what he did for us. Bring us to kneel uh, before King Jesus with great love and gratitude. And we pray a traditional prayer. Almighty Father, look with mercy on this, your family, for which our Lord Jesus Christ was content to be betrayed and given up into the hands of sinners to suffer death upon the cross, yet who is alive and glorified with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.